I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Grab your Bible, you do that, and go with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first five verses. I did not forget to dismiss the kids. Uh, they're standing here with us today, all right? So today is a uh, family day, the last Sunday, fifth Sunday of January, and so everybody stays in the room with us. Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 5, will you believe that we only have uh, two sermons left uh, in our study in the book of Galatians. Then we'll have a couple of standalone sermons. And as of right now, our teaching team, we are uh, pointing toward uh, going through 1 Corinthians. Uh, boy, there's no drama in that book, is there? Uh, we're, we're planning to go through that as we move forward. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start today a little two-part series uh, on church life, church life. So we started in chapters 1 and 2 as the Apostle Paul gives us some biography about his life and what the Lord did in him and through him. And then we get into the middle section where there's a little bit more theology that we work through. And then chapter 5 and chapter 6 are more of the practical chapters as we apply this doctrine to the Christian life. So we're just coming off, if you're visiting today, we're just coming off a two-part series about uh, the walking in the flesh versus walking in the Spirit. The battle before us is will we, as Christians, walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit? We're going to do a little two-part series here in chapter 6 uh, that I'm simply entitling Church Life. Church Life. As we, in the Christian community, do life together. Now, I want to introduce you to somebody from history. Look on the screen for just a minute. Uh, this guy's name is Simeon the Stylite, and he was certainly an unusual bird, all right? Uh, back to the year 423, uh, Simeon uh, went out to the edge of the Syrian desert, and he decided that he would be a better Christian, that he could commune better with God if he lived out in isolation. So what he did is he built a pillar, uh, not too terribly tall, uh, one that he could, of course, get up on top of it. Think of it like a bird's nest, if you would. Uh, he said that if he could just live his life up on top of this pillar, that he would be a better Christian, that he would have better communion with God because he would not have to interact with the world, with people, and he could just stay focused on his Christian life. And so for six years, he lived on top of this pillar. And people would come by and look at him and he would just tell them, hey, I'm, I'm just communing with God. I'm focused on God. I'm not entangled with the distractions of the world. Uh, how many of you think your Christian life maybe would be better if you could live like that? You didn't have to live around people. Uh, you didn't have to live in a Christian community. And trust me, there are some people probably thinking that they would be better Christians if they didn't have to live with you too, right? You and I know that uh, his thought process really goes against 
a lot of principles that we find in God's Word. Because God made us not to be lone rangers, but to live in Christian community uh, in the church. The church. God didn't create you to live like Simeon. He created you in the body of Christ for a reason. And I might add that he places you in a local New Testament church for a reason. Last year, I gave away several copies of this book. Uh, Some of you read it, entitled Rediscover the Church uh, by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. Uh, The subtitle is Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And they just basically lay out the case that God designed it for it to be this way, for the church to be this way, that the church is essential. And in the book, they unpack nine questions that really could be a sermon series about the church. They start with, what is a church? Who can belong to the church? Do we really need to gather? I mean, is this gathering really necessary? Is it important? When we do gather, why are preaching and teaching central to what we do? Is joining a church actually necessary? Is church discipline really loving? How do I love members who are different than me? How do we love people outside the church who are not Christians? And then the last chapter they wrote about who leads the local church. Now, as I read through those nine questions the other day, I began to think about how some of them actually apply to what is going on in the church in Galatia. They directly address some of the issues and situations that the church finds itself in. The church starts out with the gospel of grace arriving in Galatia, and they found out that the grace of God is wonderful. But as the devil would, uh, he began to stir up some trouble in the church by sending the Judaizers to come against them, to say, no, there's more to it than grace. Uh, You need to be circumcised, or you need to follow other laws in order to truly, truly uh, be a Christian. Isn't it amazing that God gives us that which is good, our salvation uh, for them, uh, the church, which is a good thing, and man sometimes gets a hold of those things and it becomes uh, murky and cloudy, and sometimes we even move away from the good things that God has blessed us with. Let me prove that to you from the text. In Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6, Paul said, I'm shocked, I'm shocked, I'm bewildered, I'm amazed that you have so quickly turned away from the grace that has been given to you. I love what J.R.R. Tolkien said about moving away from that which is good. He said, the most regrettable feature of human nature is how quickly we become unsatisfied with what is good. You know, one of the challenges that you and I face every day uh, in our Christian walk is to just live in the fact that Jesus is enough, that we're just satisfied with the fact that God is good. So many people are just always so restless, and, oh, there's always in turmoil, and they this and that. Can we just rest? Can we just pause? Can we have joy? Can we be satisfied in the fact that God is good? Can we stay with the grace of Jesus and not move away to other things? But yet, the church sometimes 
has issues. You know why the church has issues? Because you're here. And because I'm here. I said a couple weeks ago, my biggest issue is not you. My biggest issue is me. I have issues. And so sometimes in the church, there's sin. We sin. What do we do when somebody sins? How about this? What do we do when someone sins against another? You sin against someone else or someone sins against you. I asked you a few minutes ago, how many of you are going through a battle? You've got something going on. Those battles become burdens. Some of you are sitting here today and you're burdened down because you got stuff. You got things going on in your life. What do we do when it comes to our burdens? Aren't you glad today that we have a book that is a prescription for us? It really it's going to show us. I'm going to read Galatians 6, 1 through 5 for you now, and it's going to address some of the questions and things that I just mentioned as it relates to church life. Look in chapter 6, verse number 1 of the book of Galatians. Brothers, some translations say brothers and sisters. This is a reference to everyone that is in the church, been born again by God's grace. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And this is the word of the Lord. Three things that I see in these five verses about church life. Number one, in the church, we all need to live in mutual accountability. We all need to live in mutual accountability. Can you rejoice today that there would be someone in your life that would speak a word of grace, a word of truth, and it may be something that you didn't really want to hear, but you needed to hear it? Or how about this? You mess up. You do something you shouldn't do, and you know, you know that you've messed up. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have a Christian brother or sister in your life that loves you enough to come alongside you and put their arm around you and lift you up when you've messed up? Paul says, brothers and sisters, when someone in the church is caught or they are overtaken in a transgression, that word there again is wrongdoing, when someone's done wrong, the word is literally the word for trespass. When someone trespasses or they, they go somewhere they shouldn't go, isn't it a wonderful thing to have someone there to help you, to pick you up, and to bring you back where you need to be? Now, I want you to think about that in the local church. In the context of Galatia, they are dealing with pride. That subject comes up here in these two paragraphs way too much. When you think about legalism and you think about uh, the Judaizers, you think of know-it-alls. 
You think about people who are full of themselves. They're, they're full of pride. And, and here's what I found. Legalists become agitators. And you know what agitators do? Agitators just bring and they breed division. They're always bringing division, always bringing trouble. Tom Wright said about the Judaizers that the division that they were bringing into the church, it wasn't just theological, but rather it was other matters. Maybe it was this status of being a Jew. Maybe someone would that was a Jewish Christian would look down on a Gentile Christian and they would say, well, you know, you're a Christian, but I'm a Jewish Christian. Maybe there would be some pride in the church about Roman citizenship for those who were and those who weren't. I love Neil Anderson in his book, uh, Breaking uh, the Bondage of Legalism. He said, the legalist will relentlessly erode away at the dignity, value, and self-esteem of those in their path. Legalists don't really live by the principle that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There were some people in the Galatia church that had an I'm better than you attitude. Or they had an attitude of look at what I do or look at what I don't do. You know, legalism always breeds comparison. Anybody ever read in your Bible that it's a no-no for Christians to compare ourselves among ourselves? We compare ourselves to who? To Christ. We compare ourselves to the Scriptures, but, but legalists do things like, well, I don't do that, or I've never done that. I need to remind everybody today in the house of God that all of us are capable of anything. All of us. Years ago, I was given the book Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. Uh, probably, I think a lot of Bible college and seminary students have read that book. It's a great book. It talks about how that as a Christian, particularly pastors and leaders, you need to order your private world. You don't need to be living one way in private and then another way in public because that's eventually going to catch up with you. you. You need to have character and integrity and be who you are and keep your private world right. If you'll keep your private world right, then you'll keep your public world right. And so Gordon McDonald is standing up in front of a seminary, speaking to a bunch of seminary students, and he's talking about this problem of sexual immorality. And one of the young students in the room raised his hand, and he said, Mr. McDonald, he said, it just sounds like to me that you are, you're, you feel like you're bulletproof to this problem of sexual immorality. If the devil was going to get you and trip you up, if it's not this, what would it be? And Gordon McDonald's own testimony is he took a step back, and he said, he looked at that young man and he said, son, I don't know, but I can assure you it'll never be in this area. And within one year, within one year, he had a moral failure in his life. He had to resign from the InterVarsity Fellowship. We're not here today to, to just uh, put him down. He has a wonderful story of God's grace. What he's been able to do is come back from that in restoration and write about a restoration of a broken life and so many other things. But he said that moment when he stepped back and said, it'll never happen to me, guess what? Nobody should ever say that because anything could happen to any of us. And so here, here in this context in verse number one, it certainly seems most scholars say that this, this, the tone of this verse 
if you focus on the word caught, it seems to be something sudden. Anybody noticed how temptation comes on you suddenly? I mean, there's some things that we do, quite frankly, our cruddy hearts, we plan it out. We know what we're doing, and then we act out and we live out whatever that plan is. At other times, there are things that happen just, you know, kind of really quick, split second, that kind of overtake us, and we have a decision to make in the moment. Do we give in to our flesh, or do we walk in the Spirit? And so if anyone is caught, overtaken by a wrongdoing, how should we respond? Here's how spiritual people respond. You who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the text doesn't say that the person asks for it. It doesn't say that the person comes to you and says, hey, Will you help me? It could be a situation where they sin against you or they sin in front of you and it's just split second or it's something that you know about. And so you go to this person and you don't go to them in a spirit of arrogance or, or you know, or, 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 or being uh, condemning, but you go to them in a spirit of gentleness with the goal of what? With the goal of restoring them to where they need to be. Restoration. I want you to look at that word restoring. You know what that word is? The word is literally when you break a bone and that bone gets reset. That you pop that bone back into place so that healing can take place. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's not. I mean, I've been playing ball in college or, or, or high school and someone jams their finger and they just walk up to you and say, hey, yank on my finger and let's get it back in place, right? Or pop it down into place. But sometimes it's much more difficult than that. Many years ago, I was in the Philippines on a mission trip. I was staying in a, uh, a little hotel there, hotel nothing, motel, uh, about $15 a night. It was really luxurious. And um, I noticed this group of guys were in the downstairs every morning, and we'd all eat breakfast together. There's about five of them. And, and I uh, noticed that some of them spoke English and some of them didn't. So anyhow, we started this conversation these guys were on an international race. They were these speed skaters. And so you know how you do. You got your phone these days and, yeah, hey, what's your name? And so-and-so, and you, when they're not looking, you Google their name, you know. Well, I was talking to some. I realized, man, these guys were like stars, like international stars. They were doing some like, I mean, they had like big sponsorships, and it was a big to-do. And so uh, the next morning or two, I went down for breakfast, and one of them was sitting there, and, uh, and he had a sling. And uh, I was like, I forgot his name, but I said, man, what happened to you? He said, man, I was speed skating yesterday coming down a mountain. He said, an animal came out in front of me, and I got tripped up. And he said, I landed. I dislocated my shoulder. He said, my shoulder completely popped out of the socket. I said, man, I bet that was painful. He said, oh, that wasn't the worst part of it. He said, uh, they picked me up, and they took me to a hospital. He said, this was his words. He said, honestly, uh, someone should only go there to get their temperature checked. That's about the extent of it. Maybe get some Tylenol. He said, I got there, and they couldn't really help me. And they said, look, the only thing we can do is put you in the back of a pickup truck. About an hour away, there's a Mormon hospital we can get you to, and, and there'll be somebody there that can help you. And then he described this hour ride in the pickup truck, and he wasn't a Christian, so he had some very descriptive words. 
And uh, so he told me, he said, look, they took me in that hospital and got me in that bed. He said, I'm telling you, he said, there were seven people that got on top of me. He said, they were twisting me. And finally, one of the doctors yelled, and he said, he popped my shoulder back in place. And he said, I was saying things I should not have said. He said, it's never hurt that bad. Now, I give you that little illustration to show you that sometimes, sometimes restoration is difficult. Sometimes it's painful. You know, sometimes people might walk up to you and say, hey, do you realize you offended me? You said this or that. And hopefully, if you understand what they're saying, you respond in a spirit of humility and you apologize, you repent of what you've done, you want to be right with a brother or sister, and things are right and you move forward. How many of you found out that sometimes it's not that easy? That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, look on the screen, Matthew 18, 15, he talks about church discipline. And he says, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault and do it between you and him alone. You don't send out a prayer request to your prayer group. That's called gossip sometimes what someone has done. No, you, you, you talk to that person. If that person won't hear you or that person doesn't want to get it right, then you go to them, verse 16, you take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Pretty strong words by Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said, if you've got somebody living in sin, they won't repent, you've gone to them twice, now tell it to the church, now you're supposed to treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. You know what that means? That means treat them like an outcast. And sometimes people would say, well, that's just not very loving, Pastor. I didn't say it, Jesus said it. And there's a reason for it. It's not just to be ugly. The point of church discipline is to get restoration, to get someone back where they need to be. Now, here's the easiest process. It doesn't always happen. But this is the easiest way for a church to function biblically, and that is that we would all say, I want to live in mutual accountability. Is that the kind of life you're living today? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. We talk about this as pastors. For pastors to get in a place where they, where they don't have accountability, that's when we get in trouble. It's dangerous, men, for you to live without accountability. Ladies, it's dangerous in your life if you don't have someone who can just speak truth to you without you going off on them like a bomb over something you said or done. And when we all fail, when we all are overtaken, we all need to have the spirit of gentleness. Back to verse number one of Galatians 6. And we need to remember as we approach a situation that we keep watch on ourselves lest you too be tempted. How many of you are grateful for someone in your life when you messed up really bad? They put their arm around you and they loved you back to where you needed to be. Instead of blessing you out or chewing you out, they loved you, and you received it, and you were restored. In a church, 
We all need to live by mutual accountability. Number two, we all need to live a life that will lighten the load of others. Lighten the load of others. Man, I love this. Verse number two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love that. Fulfill the law of Christ. Not obey the law of Christ, but fulfill the law of Christ. You remember when Jesus was asked of the uh, commandments, the laws, what's the greatest? How did Jesus respond? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Be a loving person. Christ has loved you. Now you pour your love out on others. I want to remind you today that everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something. I was out in the parking lot. I actually came in church late today. <laughs> I was out in the parking lot, and I like to go out there and hang out and um, say hey to people. And, and, and I was out there, and somebody was leaving. They pulled up, and we started talking. And they said, Pastor, you just don't even know how I needed the sermon today. You just don't even know. Because of things that are going on in my life. And they began to share some of that with me. And I said, you know, we're all, we're all dealing with stuff. I mean, if you raised your hand a few minutes ago, you're dealing with stuff. You got things going on in your job, things going on in your family. We got things going on in the world that are that are concerning. We got things going on in our country that are concerning. We have burdens that we carry. And Paul said in church life, you and I come alongside each other and help bear one another's burdens. The word bear there means to carry, to lift up, to come up under. How many of you remember a time in your Christian journey where you were broken and you were weak and you were frustrated? And you wondered, you wondered if God was even there. And a brother or sister came along and lifted you up. Would you raise your hand across the room? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Because there's going to be times when our chin is on our chest. There's going to be times in your Christian walk when you need somebody to lift up your head. There are going to be times in your walk where, where you feel like you can't go another day. And God says the church, church life is, is that we're all looking around. We're all looking around. And we're looking for people that are going through some stuff. And we try to help them carry their burdens. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. How many of you like a little encouragement along the way? 